And a hearty welcome to one and all. This is episode 61, the Roger Maris episode. The Aaron Judge broke Roger Maris's record. Maybe that'll be the next episode. Of the Confessions of a Not-So-Dangerous Mind podcast. As always, I'd like to thank you all for joining me on this Thursday evening in New York. If you're checking out the podcast on the YouTube channel, haven't done so already, and you enjoy the content, don't forget to click like, subscribe, turn on the notifications. Or if you're checking out episode 61 on the audio platforms like Spotify or iTunes or the rest, don't forget to click like, subscribe, turn on those notifications. So once again, I find myself somewhat at the forefront of what's about to be a pop culture phenomenon. And that would be the Netflix documentary, American Nightmare, which has been buzzed about for a while, but landed uh, last night. And I watched it. And I was horrified. I was absolutely horrified, flabbergasted, as gobsmacked as I've been um, from other famous documentaries, including this one right here, which I'll get to, the comparisons and some of the unbelievable conclusions drawn by the players involved in this true life horror. But it's, it's, um, it's not a straightforward documentary in the sense that it's not, you know, two hours and then the movie's over, an hour and 50. It's in three parts. Uh, again, it, there's no way to not get into some spoilers. If you've seen the commercials, I'm not going to give away anything that you haven't seen in the commercials. That's a promise. But part one focuses on Aaron Quinn, the young man, we think, at the center of the crazy apparent murder that has taken place. Part two focuses on Denise Huskins, who is um, his girlfriend at the time. And part three gets into the case overall. And there's a lot of chatter and there's talk on Netflix and the commercials and if you read in the newspapers or online about the apparent similarities between this absurd scenario and the movie Gone Girl, which I will get into some spoilers right now. Uh, Gone Girl was based on a huge best-selling novel. And Ben Affleck, Rosamund Pike, uh, Kim Delaney, was it Kim Delaney or Kim Dickens? It might have been Kim Dickens, anyway. Uh, but a great cast and a solid movie. I didn't think it was great. There were some people said this is one of the all-time thrillers. Terrific twist, halfway through. You know, just imagine you're a murder suspect and you're like, well, how could I be a murder suspect? What the fuck is going on? And the person you allegedly murdered just says, hey, here I am. Nice to meet you. What's your name? In American Nightmare, the story opens with, in the past, sometime in 2015, and the movie Gone Girl was already out and had been discussed and disseminated and all of that. So there are people involved in this case that actually think, oh, it's just like Gone Girl. But you have people whose job it is to sift through actual facts who are relying on pop culture references and, oh, this must be just like the movie. What? But we'll get to that. So it's about a home invasion and a young man, Aaron Quinn, who says that he and his girlfriend were attacked and tied up and more or less preparation for abduction of both of them, but they abducted the girlfriend, not him, 
and make all kinds of threats. If you go, like, like this kind of thing you see in movies like Ransom, if you go to the police, she's dead, and all of this kind of shit. So part one, you have a sort of classic situation where somebody that we, we know that they're not gonna make a documentary. It's not gonna be as straightforward, oh yeah, he, he killed her. No, it, you could tell from the commercials, okay, he didn't just bump her off. So you, you put yourself in the shoes of this guy. There's no reason to not think that he's telling the truth as best as he can remember, because it seems like he was drugged, he was, he was kind of beat up a little bit. So he takes a chance, goes to the police. And as we often see in movies, that turns out to not be the best course of action, because they're not helpful. In fact, they are so convinced, despite no evidence, no body, no real motive. I mean, you can create a motive out of anything. Well, he didn't like the lamp, and therefore he wanted to kill her. But they don't have anything, and they're utterly convinced that he murdered her. That the story that he's telling is completely false. It was love, love triangle. They give us all this bullshit. And now we don't know for certain what's going on, but it feels like a pretty big rush to judgment that's going on. And in the first episode of the docu-series, the way the kid, and I say kid because he's very young at, at this time, he's in his 20s, and he, I would say looks young. He appears to be getting railroaded by an uncaring police department who are just looking to close a case, which to them, well, this is never really a kidnapping. It's always the boyfriend. It's always the husband. It's always the girlfriend. It's always the wife, the husband. There's no way that anything that he's telling us is true. He just made up this fantastical story because he killed her and doesn't want us to find the body or whatever. So the first episode, as Aaron tells his story, and the police and the FBI are just like, listen, we know you're full of shit. We know you're lying. And some of the mechanics of the way, and I, I don't want to say plot because this is true stuff. We see footage of him being interrogated. We see the investigators really acting like fucking assholes. I mean, I'm not even going to mince words. Again, we always talk about it. I know it's high-minded, old school. We talk about innocent until proven guilty. They had nothing. And they were trying to basically coerce a confession because there's no way any of what you told us is true. Just tell us what happened. We know you did it, not if you did We know you did it. Now, the thin blue line, which I maintain, and I've talked about this on a previous podcast, is the best, to me, it's the best documentary ever made, period. But in the, in the area, the realm of what we call true crime, there is nothing like the thin blue line. And that, a brief recap, is a case of a drifter who was in the wrong place at the wrong time, and an uncaring Dallas Police Department did not give a fuck that they had nothing but very, very uh, incredulous, non-believable, horseshit eyewitness testimony where people were getting paid to make shit up on the stand and they were just gonna sweep it under the rug. And this poor guy, Randall Adams, who wasn't anywhere near the scene of the crime when a police officer was killed, he was gonna get, he had it pinned on him. The man was on death row until Errol Morris made this move. Now, American Nightmare doesn't go that far. Like, it didn't go to a situation where Aaron Quinn was convicted of murder and then suddenly the girlfriend shows up. But the way he appears to be getting railroaded, and it's not just the cops, it's FBI agents that, like, aren't you guys supposed to do something other than assume, 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 assume? Like, there's no body, there's no motive, there's no evidence. What are you doing? 
So that first episode was very reminiscent of the thin blue line, where you have somebody that right away you say, well, there's no reason that this happened. It, it, he doesn't, there's no motive here. Just as there was no motive for Randall Adams to have just out of nowhere, a drifter, 27, no criminal record, is just going to randomly decide to kill a cop? What? For what? And a lot of this docu-series is for what? Where you keep coming back to it, and the characters even say it at various points, where they have these crazy theories, well, here's what probably happened. And you say, okay, but for what? What would be the purpose of all of that crap that you're telling us? What's our end game? We weren't in it for the money. We weren't in it because one of us was not trying to put one over on the other. This is not a crazy revenge, cockeyed revenge scheme like Gone Girl. What is the goal here? What were we trying to do? What was he trying to do? And then no, no apologies when they realize in episode two, okay, he clearly didn't kill her because she's not dead. Obviously, he didn't commit a murder if she's walking around and talking. Oh, so she must have, ooh, he must have cheated on her. They were mad at him and her throughout this because of this sort of crazy theories that they threw out there. But they never stopped to think just because something seems, well, we haven't, we haven't seen this. This isn't really a neighborhood where you have home invasions and kidnappings. So what? If it happens, it happens. So as you go along in this and you hear Denise's story, which is not even arguably, her story is worse than his. He was petrified. First he thought maybe they were going to die. And then that she's gone and maybe they're going to kill her because, you know, kidnapping, ransom, it doesn't even matter if you pay, uh, like the movie Ransom, they might kill the person anyway. So he goes through this harrowing ordeal and then might get a murder charge pinned on him if she doesn't turn up. And even if she does, they're just going to blame him because there's no other suspect. Unlike in the thin blue line where there was a prime suspect, but because he had like kind of a connected family, no, 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 we don't need to charge David. We got this guy over here. Nobody will give a shit if we execute Randall Adams. Well, the idea here was that nobody was going to give a shit if Aaron Quinn first took the fall for Denise Huskins' murder, which wasn't a murder because she wasn't murdered. She was so she tells her story in episode two, and it is brutal. It's way worse than anything he goes through. Yes, he went through psychological horror where he wonders, am I losing my mind? Like, what's going on here? What fucking planet is this? And all this. And then you get to, to lawyers involved, and different pieces of evidence starts to come up. But it doesn't look like anybody is interested in the slightest to do any legwork just in case. First, that maybe he's telling the truth, maybe he didn't kill her, maybe she was taken, and then once they realize, okay, yeah, yeah, he didn't kill her, we know he didn't kill her, only because she's still alive. Her story, well, that's also too crazy. There's too many discrepancies. Hey, fuck you, there weren't any discrepancies. What's your definition of discrepancies? That I'm here? What the hell are you? So this goes forth, and you watch it, and you just get so pissed off. And this is like Thin Blue Line in that where you're, you're literally watching a, a gross, horrible miscarriage of justice. You're watching it unfold in real time as it happened in 2015. And if it's possible, it's almost like cops, FBI, and the entire media, the national media, everybody, not just one corner, everybody, hoax, hoax. First it was murder, then it was hoax. 
everybody almost seemed to have had some kind of mass hypnosis or mass hysteria. Like if they had said, hey, let's see how badly we can fuck this up. They couldn't have even gotten close to how badly they actually fucked it up. So while I was watching this, and I figured that with all of the terrible stuff that comes in the first two parts, there was going to be some kind of vindication. Because again, I didn't remember this story. I, I had to have been exposed to it. Because this was national news. Some of the clips they show in the docu-series from the Today Show, from, you know, Fox and CNN and MSN. So this was this got a lot of play nationally. I'm sure there were lawyers on debating, you know, whatever they're debating. Well, if he killed her, you know, I'm sure at, at each stage of the process, they had attorneys on to the, and representing the defense. Well, if you were Aaron's client and you knew he killed her, Aaron's attorney. But while I was watching this, I was thinking of other documentaries which dealt with really horrible true crime situations. And a couple of years ago, a little less than two years ago, Netflix had a different series called Girl in the Picture, which was also horrifying, but in a different way. And that series had a greater air of mystery because there was the whole thing with the father. Is he really the father? Or what's going on here? That was, you didn't know exactly what even what might have happened. That was the kind of thing where every time you thought you figured it out, it just got worse. And there was no way that that was going to have a happy ending because you find out information in Girl in the Picture in the first two minutes that, well, Girl in the Picture is dead. But there's a question of how did we get to that point. The other documentary that this reminded me of, in a completely different sense, but in the idea of there's no way that it can be this bad. Or there's no way that people can get things this wrong while trying to do. That's the thing. That documentary is called Capturing the Freedoms. And it's about 20 years old now, and it was about a music teacher from Great Neck who was a child molester. A horrible, disgusting, awful human being. Somehow his youngest son was charged and convicted of the same crimes, even though there was zero physical evidence that the son had done anything. That was a different version of a horrible miscarriage of justice, and it took him years to clear his name. And just because when you get charged with those kind of crimes, it's going to follow him around forever. So this movie could have, as I say, just been a straightforward documentary, but I see why they split it up, because they wanted to say, Part one is Aaron, part two, Denise, part three, what really happened? You know, kind of like the original Clue, the movie in 1985, where they show, well, here's an alternate ending A, and here's alternate ending B, and this is what really happened. So the third part of this documentary is pretty much, everybody's wrong, now we're going to tell you what really happened. And yes, when it's over, you feel a sense of relief, you feel a sense of, okay, this is not just ceaseless horror, as Girl in the Picture and Capturing the Freedmans were both just never-ending, horrifying stuff that we're exposed to. You could say the Gacy documentary, which I didn't really think was that great, but the Gacy documentary was another piece of you know, popular culture where it was just, this is just unbelievable. Like, how can all of, how could this be happening? You know, and the thing with, with the Gacy documentary, which was also in, in multiple parts, is that you had, people, you know, 40 years ago or however many years ago it was, who were walking through a crime scene with toxic chemicals 
not wearing any personal protective equipment. Nobody's thinking in these terms in 19, you know, in the late 70s, early 80s. And you had people who ended up having ramifications, physical ramifications, you know, in that case. This, the two people, Aaron and Denise, will be scarred for life. There's no way that you can go through that to have an entire country calling you names, first thinking you're a murderer, and then thinking you just created this fantastical story when you know damn well what really happened. So I don't, like, I don't know uh, the mechanics as far as, is it possible for this, because it's gonna get nominated, guaranteed. This is that good, it's that gripping, and that well, well documented and, and well reported and the way that it was assembled. My assumption is, that it will be nominated like for limited series, but I don't think because it's split up in three parts, unless they just released the movie, you know, released it as a movie to qualify for the documentary Oscars, I don't think they did. And certainly it wasn't, I don't think it was shown anywhere in 2023. It's going to be nominated for a lot of awards in its category. Yeah, you know, limited series, it could be, it's only three episodes. It's probably about two hours and 20 minutes total. Um, but fantastic, very, very difficult and frustrating and maddening. But to me, many of the best documentaries, Times of Harvey Milk, another great documentary. It's not really true crime. It deals with an actual terrible crime, but the focus on that is on the real Harvey Milk, who was famously played by Sean Penn in one of his Oscar-winning roles about 15 years. Um, but Times of Harvey Milk is also a documentary that is supposed to make you angry when you say, how can this happen? This is America. How can it happen? Or you can just say, this is America. Leave out the second part, implying that it happens. Sometimes justice isn't just blind, it's deaf, dumb, and blind. You know, everything from, from comedies on down to documentaries, we see it, you know? My cousin Vinny, right? Great movie, comedy. That's about to be a horrible miscarriage of justice. The kids, we, two guys we know didn't do it. They're gonna get convicted because, well, the ballpark resemblance, the car looked similar. Sometimes circumstantial is enough, it's enough to do you in. And in this case, it wasn't even circumstantial. It was, the story is so stupid it can't be true. Well, maybe it's so stupid it had to be true because who would make up such a dumb story as that? I don't know. But they sure were quite certain. You know, and you, and you see, what, what appears to be abuse of power. And, and the thing that, that stuck with me, and this isn't really a spoiler. So there are, and you could read a lot of information about lie detector tests and professionally uh, administered lie detector tests. Many uh, people uh, swear by them and say they are, it is a good arbiter. It's not foolproof, but if somebody, for example, passes a test a certain way, you can be pretty confident they're telling the truth or somebody's heart rate gets fucked up, could be pretty confident that they're lying. But to me, the most disturbing moment in this film is Aaron takes a lie detector test administered by uh, an FBI representative. And the FBI representative, after the test, tells him, there's no doubt you were lying. And he badgers him, trying to get a confession. And I remember at the time thinking, huh, well, that's strange. You know, and then I have the, the inkling, well, maybe he really did it. But then later in the movie, when they're going, they're going through the affidavits, 
That, that didn't happen. The test was completely inconclusive. They couldn't say one way or the other because the heart rate really didn't change. There was no absolute confidence that he was telling the truth. There was no absolute confidence he was full of shit. They probably would have had to run the test again. But we see the video footage of the agent hectoring him, just badgering him, and he looks like he just wants to crawl into a hole and die. And that's kind of what the guy was hoping for. Again, get a confession out of him. The thin blue line. Randall Adams is brought into interrogation room. We don't see this because this was in the 70s. I don't think they were recording these kinds of interrogations. It's not in Dallas County. And a police officer has a gun and says, you sign this paper, I'm going to put one in your head. Fuck you, I'm not signing it. I didn't do it. Wouldn't sign it. Then they forged his signature and went from there. So... It's depressing, it's upsetting, but it's really well done. And I highly recommend that you check out American Nightmare. If you like true crime, if you are more into the uh, different kinds of documentaries where there might be some serious elements, but uplift is the ultimate goal, don't watch this. It is gonna make you very upset. You're gonna get very angry. You'll be, dare I say, triggered. But it's a great story. And I, it's, as dumb as it is, I honestly believe that if the movie Gone Girl had not come out just before this case, the police and FBI would have handled it differently. They were convinced that the movie had some bearing on this crazy true story which was going down. And I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt here because there are people that were involved in this case that got commendations elsewhere. Like, they're, they're not, sometimes it's not incompetence. It is simply a rush to judge. What are you going to do? You know, and um, you just have to hope that if you're, if you're in the crosshairs that it's not like this, that, heaven forbid, somebody close to you disappears and you fall under suspicion. You didn't know damn well you had nothing to do with it. I mean, that's, that's just horrifying. It's almost inconceivably horrifying. So with that, come to the end of episode 61, American Nightmare, the new docuseries on Netflix. I'd like to thank you once again for joining me for episode 61. If you're checking it out on the YouTube channel and haven't done so already, please click like, subscribe, turn on the notifications, or if you're catching up with episode 61 on the audio platforms like Spotify or iTunes and haven't done so already, Click like, subscribe, turn on the notifications. I'll be back with episode 62. Will we call it the Aaron Judge 62 home run episode? Don't know that yet, but I'll be back with episode 62 real soon. Till then, American Nightmare, true crime, as good as it gets. Peace.